Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back, everybody, to another Friday breakdown edition of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Me and Jacob are coming at you live from the cab of a Toyota Tundra, hurtling down the interstate at 75 miles an hour and somewhere in Tennessee right now. Jacob, how are you doing over there? Doing well. Hey, I'm not driving, so it's even better. I'm just sitting here, you know, riding shotgun, got the uh, the headset mics on, and just rolling out, dude. So it's uh, it's been fun. Just you know, not to give uh, too much details because it come out on a future Friday breakdown. But it's uh, getting back from Wisconsin, which, by the way, dude, they got some thick woods up there. Yeah, you know, we were talking with uh, Nick Larson from the Bird Shop podcast. Uh, he, he invited us up to his cabin in northern Wisconsin, and we went up there. And did a small game hunt. Um, we were hunting uh, m- mostly grouse, but we also got into woodcock and uh, a lot of snowshoe hare as well, which is pretty fun, unique experience for a couple southern boys like us. Uh, and I was telling Larson that, uh, you know, usually when we go to other states and people show us, like, what is what their kind of thickets are, we usually kind of, like, uh, we're like thickest uh, thicket elitists, you know. We're like, man, this ain't like what we got in Alabama. Um, I gotta say, the Northwoods of Wisconsin, they got some pretty freaking nasty thickets up there. They don't have like sawbriars and stuff, but that um, that hawthorn, hawthorn apple, thorn apple, or whatever the crap it is, dude, it is like a four-inch wooden spike that is very sharp, and it it does not give no. at all. No, you'll hear about that on a, on a future episode. I think it's, actually it'll be on the the Birdshot podcast, which you can go check out with Nick yeah. Larson. I got I took one to the face, and uh, I thought it was pulled out, but it was still embedded. And uh, yeah, trying to story. pull it out felt resistant. They're like, oh, it's in there. It's in there. It's in there real good. Uh, but anyways, uh, this week we're going to be talking about and kind of breaking down this episode we just did with Clifton Denny from On Your Own Outdoors YouTube uh, from Arkansas. Uh, you know, Clifton's a really interesting guy. We've had him on an episode in the past, episode 300. And uh, he actually had some listener success stories come from his original episode. So we decided to have him back on uh, for a video podcast that we actually did on uh, our Patreon account. So all of our Patreon members got to go on there and, and actually kind of be, you know, be a part of it, which made for a really interesting conversation. But he's a guy that I've always been kind of interested and fascinated with because, you know, he's a, he's a younger guy who's having success really getting after these bucks, both on public and private lane in Arkansas and also hunting other states as well really kind of putting stuff together uh and, and his story is really interesting and, and he talks about it a little bit in this episode uh but he also really mentioned in episode 300 which i highly recommend guys if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to clifton's first episode i highly re- uh you know recommend you going back and listen to episode 300 with clifton denny um just get some more backstory and also hear some stuff that was not discussed on this episode um but just the whole idea of you know one of his biggest premises was like you know, if you want to kill big deer, or kill Pope and young deer, you really need to try to focus on areas of your state that, you know, have higher densities of those kind of quality deer. And, you know, he talks a little bit on this episode and really mentions in episode 300 that, you know, the area that he was kind of born and raised in didn't really have a bunch of those deer. Like, you know, he'd kill some with a rifle, but not any with a bow. Um, and, and, you know, after having, you know, conversations with, you know, like a past one of our past guests, Richard, fought with him. You know, he decided to go try another part of the state that has a little bit better density for that kind of deer. And it's been interesting how he's been able to put that together and figure out how to go to different areas and find these larger bucks and really get on them and, and have a lot of success. Yeah, that's a good point, too, uh, talking about wanting to kill bigger deer. Because I think somewhere in here Clifton mentioned he he always had success, you know, or he was having success in the places he was at. But he, he met guys like Richard Fought um, who were having the same amount of success i guess as far as like deer killed but they're killing bigger deer and uh, richard's like man you just got to go to where they are it's like you kind of got it figured out but you know the mature bucks that you're shooting where you're at uh aren't as big as the mature bucks over here 
And so Clifton kind of switched it up and ended up starting to kill a lot of Pope and young deer. And uh, I think every state, you know, has its good areas and bad areas. We were just talking about an area of Alabama that uh, that we want to try to hunt some this year, uh, later in the year, that is, I, I think, one of those areas, like if you want to kill a Pope and young deer, if you want to kill like a big deer, uh, that's probably the place to go compared to places that we normally hunt. Not that they don't exist where we normally hunt, but... There's just not as many of them, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's a huge factor. And not saying, and you use the, the phrase, which I'll, I'll kind of walk back, the good area versus bad area. Not saying one's better than the other, but it's for the quality of deer and just for whatever reason through nutrition, the yeah. area, the cover, some areas are going to have deer that the same age, you know, a five and a half year old in one area might be 110 inches versus in another area that five and a half year old might be 140 inches in the yeah. same state in the Southeast. Um, and it's just trying to find those areas. If that's your goal, again, if it's your goal, like, Hey, I want to, you know, kill bigger deer in my state. It may take you, you know, kind of uprooting, you know, your hunting area and moving, you know, an hour or two in a different direction or even more in order to find that area that has, you know, bucks that when they get to that age or the size that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, Clifton's really done that and kind of figured out like what it takes to do it in his home state of Arkansas. Yeah. And, and we know other guys who do that too. Um, a guy who we were actually just on the phone with a second ago, uh, Wes. Wes Moy, he uh, he does exactly that. He drives pretty far all over the state to a lot of different areas uh, just to hunt, you know, different places that ha- that give him a high likelihood of shooting a really nice buck. Uh, he lives in a part of the state that has really nice bucks, but maybe not in, like, the kind of numbers that we're looking for. Excellent part of the state to hunt, a uh, part of the state that we've actually hunted before. But, you know, he'll hop in the truck and he'll drive a couple of hours several times a year, you know, go and get after that upper echelon, those bigger deer. And uh, I guess that's what he did a couple of years back when he shot that record buck buck. Yeah. Muzzleloader deer. Yeah, killing deer, you know, over 170 inches in Alabama on public land as well. So, you know, it, it can be done. But, again, it just takes a certain mindset. And guys, again, like Clifton that put the work in and they kind of have an idea of what they're doing, it's really interesting because, again, he hunts his – private land he talks about this in this episode he hunts his private land different than he hunts his public land he really doesn't run trail cameras much at all on public he'll run uh, trail cameras on private land and the interesting thing is and he talks a little bit about in this episode you know arkansas is like a state like you know some other states in southeast that you know you you can bait on private land and he kind of talks about a lot of guys just don't if you're if you're hunting private land and that's a you know a, a, a food source and attractant that you're putting out in his opinion, it seems like not many guys or not a lot of people really hunt it uh, effectively. You know, they just try to go set a corn pile in different conditions. And he talks about in this episode, which is really interesting and something I want to get into in this Friday breakdown is, you know, hunting, if you're on private land where you can bait, like Alabama on private land, whether it's, you know, if it's, uh, you know, you own it or if it's a lease property that the uh, lease company, the timber company allows you to bait, you can do so, you know, uh, perfectly fine. Uh, as long as you're, again, outside these CWD zones. But, again, he kind of figured out a way to be successful, whether it's on, you know, private land, and he's, again, using bait, which he talks about in this episode, or if he's on public land and he's not using bait, what that situation looks like. And one thing he brought up, which I thought was really interesting, is the weather changes and, and the, like, the uh, temperature changes specifically, mm-hmm. where, you know, when it goes from, like, being a consistent temperature to either, and it has a, a, a drastic change, and it can be going from cold weather to hot weather. He'll hunt that change and that time period of when that uh, that temperature uh, kind of swaps. And it's really interesting how he talks about on the podcast why he does that specifically. 
because most people think, you know, I'm going to hunt that temperature change when it drops temperature. You know, maybe it'll drop 10, 15, 20 degrees. I'm going to hunt there. And he talks about it's not just when the temperature drops, but also when the temperature rises. And the way he describes it is really interesting. And, Andrew, I want to get your take on it, where he's discussing if it's been consistently, say, 45 degrees for five, six, seven days, and then all of a sudden we get a day at 60 degrees, what that buck's been doing, in his opinion, for that four or five days when it's been consistent temperatures, when it switches, he has to change his pattern a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can capitalize, and he's capitalized on that pattern change even when temperature rises because that buck's going to be doing something slightly different than what he's been doing during that uh, steady time period. And he's going to be potentially more on his feet, potentially, and, and again, moving areas, maybe into an area that maybe sets up a little bit better for that temperature range or that wind change. Uh, and he talked about that specifically on, on capitalizing on hunts like that. Yeah, no, that was really interesting. That really caught my attention when he mentioned that because, you, you know, we all like to hunt the big cold snaps and we all like to get out there when it actually gets cold, uh, especially if you live in the deep south and it just doesn't get super cold that often. You know, when you get that cold snap, you want to hunt it. But uh, nobody likes to hunt when it you have like a 10 degree upswing in temperature. But what he's talking about makes sense to me at least. I mean, being able to go out and get on deer because they're changing their pattern. And uh, just, just I have to draw this analogy back, I guess, because we were literally just up there. But, like, when we were just grouse hunting in, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, we had a temperature upswing up there. And it's like it got pretty warm one morning, and we, we had been jumping some grouse in one cover type. And then uh, once that temperature got up, we hit these little timber islands where it was nice and shaded and noticeably cooler, and bam, we were, like, right back in them. And so I feel like if you think of it like that, it's, I think it's probably similar with deer. Like, they're going to use uh, certain types of – maybe certain types of cover, or they're going to use their habitat differently based on whatever temperature it is. Uh, and so if you get, like, a warm snap, they're not, they're not going to be, like, laying out in the sun in a sage grass field or something like that because they're going to burn up. As opposed to, you know, if it's 30 degrees, they probably will be laying in that kind of stuff. Um, and so he's trying, to, he's trying to basically just capitalize on that big change that they got going on. Uh, but, to, you know, another thing is to be able to do that, you've really got to uh, know your area well. Uh, and you got to know what the deer are using to begin with, you know. So I think that's also like a function of a lot of scouting and being like very familiar with your area. And, and also just a healthy dose of woodsmanship, you know. I mean, you, you, if you really know what's going on in your neck of the woods, then I feel like you can make plays off of that kind of stuff. But, you know, for, like, somebody who's new, I just want to say this, because, like, I feel like you can kind of end up biting off more than you can chew and, and kind of overthinking this mm, a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, where it's like, oh, okay, we're, get, we're getting an eight-degree uh, temperature increase in the high tomorrow. Uh, where do I need to be? Whatever. And, uh, and I feel like you can kind of think yourself into a corner like that very easily. And I say that because I do that all the time still like i do it all the time so i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are kind yeah, of on that yeah and well it's you know uh paralysis by analysis you know that can happen a ton specifically you, on our podcast when you get some of these guys that we have on that are like hunting or, or thinking at a very high level um you know higher than the average guy and it's working for them but when you haven't done like that kind of analysis and, and breakdown and kind of experience it's hard to go out there and try a lot of these different things that these guys are talking about uh, and, and, and instantly start seeing like a, a change or some success or something like that kind of all happening. 
So there's a lot going on, but I will say this. I just definitely find it interesting. I'm going to try to mess with it a little bit this year. When we have like a consistent, you know, specific, specifically temperature like range, and then we have a, either a spike in temperature where it's going to rise a good bit, you know, 10, 15 degrees, um, or drop that temperature, you know, what that movement looks like. And also I'll say this, you know, uh, Clifton can hunt quite a bit based off his work schedule. He's, he's got a pretty interesting career uh, where that allows him to be able to hunt, you know, during the week some. You know, he, he works for, you know, he may work for, you know, five, six, seven days, and then he may have, you know, five, six days off. Uh, so he can be in the woods quite often and, and kind of follow along with that pattern. Um, versus if you're just like a weekend warrior, you've got to hunt when you have time to hunt. Yeah. Like you, you don't need to hunt just because, quote, unquote, like, Maybe like uh, you know, a lunar calendar doesn't show its right or the temperature's you know too hot or something like that. Like you got to hunt when you can because the number one factor to being successful, killing deer, not just not just big bucks but just deer in general, is time in the woods. Yeah, and hey, that reminds me too. You just said that you know we had Bill Vale on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how you know he uses his moon calendar to pick weekends to hunt, and uh, he's like you know I'll, if it's a bad weekend I'll just you know stay with the family, do whatever, and then I'll, I'll only hunt the good weekends. Uh, that, I mean, that obviously has worked well for him over the years, but man, if you're like a newer hunter uh, and you're and you're still learning a lot, I would uh, I would hunt every chance that you get. I mean, you know, put family first and everything. I'm not saying like neglect your family to go hunt or anything like that, but uh, it doesn't matter, man. If it's like, if it's drizzling rain and, and 70 degrees, like go out there, go hunt, just get freaking wet. I mean, uh that's it's not that bad you know when you go out there in the rain we've hunted in the rain a lot but just take every opportunity that you can possibly get uh to go out there and just whatever the conditions are just kind of suck it up and uh you're going to be like a better hunter because of that uh, because you're going to be hunting in those those bad conditions and it's kind of interesting to talk about the hot weather stuff because people avoid that so much that uh I feel like your sample size is a little bit skewed because not many people are going to go out of their way to hunt on a day where you have like a warm snap. So uh, I think it was Lindsey Thomas from uh, QDMA or now I guess National Deer Association. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he was talking about on a podcast like years ago I heard they did a study on like what the number one factor was for like hunter pressure and hunter success. And basically it wound up being whether or not it was a Saturday. You know, mm-hmm. like that, most deer get killed on Saturdays because everybody's off work and that's when they go hunt. And so you, that's how you get like a skew or whatever, uh, because, you know, everybody's going to go hunt that cold front, but not many people are going to go, you know, if, if we get, if it's freaking November and we get a, a, a nice warm front come through in the South, everyone's staying home and watching football yep, or something. Absolutely. You know, like there ain't going to be many people out there. Or if there's just a big game. Yeah, if there's just a big game, you know, like you, here in Alabama, I mean, you know, whenever like Bama's got a big game, you pretty much got the woods to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so not so much the case for Auburn this year. I think most of us Auburn fans are just going to the woods anyways, no matter who we're playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go hide in the woods. and <laughs> like, turn, turn my phone off. And turn, and turn uh, my phone off. <laughs> like, yeah. Or Eagle, though. Yeah, so. it's like I don't, I don't need any updates. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's, that's a really good point. And, uh, and definitely, you know, it just, again, comes down to time in the woods. So, like, that's one of the biggest things I just want to tell with everybody. Like, if you do have limited time, you have a family, you have, you know, you work five, six days a week, you've got to hunt when you have time off, when you can get away from family and the whole nine yards. So, you've really got to take that in consideration. 
when you're actually going out and, and doing all this, and also take that in consideration when you're listening to a lot of these different guys on the podcast, because you got you got to pay attention and you got to realize, you know, some of the guys we may interview, they may have a lot of time to be able to spend out in the woods, like a, a lot of time. We get a great example, uh, past week's guest, uh, uh, Colton Ship. Um, you know, he pretty much takes off, you know, all of deer season to go up to Oklahoma, and he's scouting every single day. Okay. 99.9% of our listeners cannot do that. Yeah. Okay. I can't do that. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Like, you know, how can you try to go out there and be more efficient? And, and again, just like Clifton, it's time in the woods, number one. And then also with time in the woods, it's woodsmanship. And also constantly asking yourself, why? Why did I see deer? Why did I not see deer? And then trying to figure out, you know, what you can learn every single time you're in the woods and all again just always be asking why because you got to be constantly learning what's working what's not working uh and, and putting it all together because if you can do that you'll start having more and more consistent success um and, and also building upon what you're learning in these very short windows of time you're able to go hunt if you only have a day or two um to go hunt every single week if you can even hunt every single week i know guys like my past job and career in sales uh, the last two years, I've hunted, well, until we went full-time with podcasts, I hunted very, very few days. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe... You're getting like one day at a time, like every two weeks. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure, because I was, you know, you working, you know, five, mm. six days a week, maybe even seven days a week, and it, it just makes it extremely tough because when you're doing that, you can't really build you know, a pattern per se of how the deer are shifting throughout the season. Cause yeah. like, right now a lot of us are dealing with, you know, oaks are now dropping. Um, so you're dealing with, you know, food source changes. So as the oaks are dropping, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, it's October lull, all this kind of stuff. Well, there, there's oaks on the ground. So whatever that food source they were feeding on earlier is now shifted. And you got to try to find, you know, those areas, those deer are really feeding pretty heavily. And again, the bucks may not be moving a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, well, and the, the counteracting, like I guess to counteract that too, you know, there was there was a lot of times where you had, you know, uh, let's just say three days a month to hunt, like legit about three days a month, unless you were able to take some time off. Uh, you you made the most of it though by, I mean, you were hunting dark to dark. I mean, you were getting in and you were hunting all day, every single day that you could hunt. Uh, that you you weren't going to come out of the woods for lunch or anything like that and and go to a restaurant or, or go to a gas station and you're you're staying in the woods all day and that's kind of how you maximize that time and uh you know full days of field are super valuable to me i mean i would i would rather do like one full day in the field than two half day like a, like half a day saturday and half a day sunday mm-hmm. if you can do one full day I, I feel like your odds are a lot better and you get more out of it just because you're spending more continuous time out there observing and learning and scouting and doing whatever you got to do uh so that that's kind of my two cents on that i mean I'm I'm kind of in that boat right now too. I mean, the only hunts I've been on this year so far, I've had to take vacation time for. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not able to get out just a ton like like a lot of folks probably listen to this. I mean, if I'm if I'm going out to hunt, I'll probably get like maybe Saturday, and I might get half a Sunday if I'm lucky. Um, but that's pretty much my schedule unless I'm taking vacation time. So I fall into that category too. Uh, and you got to just like I said, you got to make the most of it on those. Saturdays that I get, I'm I'm staying out all day long, and uh, and I'm eating lunch in the woods. I'll take a nap out there if I have to, just whatever I got to do uh, to just stay out there and, and learn as much as I can. Yeah, and again, that's probably one of those things that you know 
some people just can't do that. Some people, again, maybe you, you have, again, family restrictions, like you've got to come out, you've got kids, whatever. Again, you got to work with whatever, you know, parameters and time frame that you have to, you know, spend out there. But, of course, more time in the field is going to help you be more successful. And, again, a lot of people realize that, but I just want to kind of mention that because, you know, that is a huge part of what's going on, and specifically also like with Clifton, because he's really kind of learned how to hunt specifically hill country. Um, that that is definitely like his bread and butter, and he talks about it in this episode, where he's kind of gone from like that flat land, very gentle rolling hills, to now getting into a lot more steeper terrain, and he's really learned how to read topo maps, how deer use topography to travel, and he can kind of go into areas really kind of blind and just go off you know a map and go off terrain topography features and go set up and have success doing that but if you're new to it and you're not hunting maybe really uh you know you call it aggressive terrain steep terrain whatever it's it's really kind of hard to do that it it really is so like the more time you spend out there scouting the the better off you're going to be but you know also in this episode we really kind of got into talking a little bit of uh you know clifton's calling strategy which is really kind of interesting um because again you know clifton is a guy that again i i kind of you know look at as you know someone who's really trying to do a lot uh to be successful like he's trying to put everything in his opportunity to be successful and calling's a, por- a big portion of it, especially as we kind of get later into, you know, late October, November, and even December, where he's having success, you know, both calling uh, by, you know, grunting and rattling and really kind of putting, you know, putting it all together. And one thing he talks about is, you know, these areas that he's trying to focus on hunting, you know, he's hunting areas that has, you know, the, the possibility for some, again, older age class bucks and bigger bucks. And he really likes to call aggressive. Uh, which, again, is completely different from, say, you know, a past guest who we've had a lot of listener success stories come from, Richard Fott, who's, you know, he calls a lot, but he's not calling overly aggressively. You know, he's calling, you know, pretty subtle, you know, pretty soft grunts. Um, you know, he's not rattling super hard and super aggressive as well, and it works for him. But Clifton's like, you know, I'm going to call aggressive. I'm going to rattle aggressively, specifically as, you know, November gets here and even early December, like where some of these areas he hunts. Um you know, he's going to be rattling more aggressively and he's going to be, you know, grunting a little bit more aggressive as well and louder. Uh, and it works for him. And again, that's a confidence thing. Um, that's one of the biggest things I've had issues with calling in the past is, man, am I going to scare deer? Am I going to scare deer and do this? And one thing I did in Arkansas while I was over there, because again, I saw a bunch of deer. I think we saw like 60 plus deer while being in Arkansas, but, you know, 99% of them were does, was even when does are around, I was grunting. Like, when they were like maybe 40, 50 yards away, I was grunting and, and doing, like, you know, kind of Richard's tending grunts and stuff like that just to try to see their reaction. And it never, like, never spooked the deer at all. Like, it, yeah. ne- it never was, like, a hindrance to me uh, with the grunting. Again, I wasn't rattling, but I was grunting quite a bit. And I was doing it more of a test. Like, I want to see, you know, after seeing so many does, like, you're, we're seeing eight, ten does uh, sit, you know, how they react to it. And, again, I was – trying to blow a grunt call pretty loud and doing like tending grunts and all that kind of stuff just kind of what richard talks about and never once i had like any does were like you know throwing their head up stomping or anything like that or or, like you know running deer off uh which gave me more confidence now specifically grunting uh because it's such a natural uh you you know communication for deer you Mm -hmm. know i think everybody if you've been in the woods long enough you've seen it it might be a year and a half year old buck two year old buck and when he's walking around he's doing like 
Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Not even in the rut, just walking around. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, doing these super subtle, like, soft grunts. And if you do that, like, the other deer in the area is, at least what I've experienced over this hunt when I was over in Arkansas, and being able to, like, visually see deer while calling, it's not, like, alerting them at all. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if anything, I feel like maybe it kind of puts them at ease. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, even does, too, though, you'll have them come by, and they'll just be making all kinds of, like, weird little noises. Turkeys are the same way. I mean, if you ever have, like, a bunch of turkeys underneath your stand or, you know, in the spring woods, if you ever have, like, hens and stuff get close to you, they're just constantly, like, making all kinds of little sounds that you just never hear until you're close. And uh, deer are the exact same way. They're making all kinds of little grunts. And then, you know, I've never heard, like, like a buck roar or anything like that. Uh, I think Clifton talked about that a little bit. But I have heard just like very loud grunting before, mainly from like younger bucks. Uh, but I, you know, I, I've said this before. We had Richard on, who he talked about his calling technique, and Tim Knight also. He had a unique calling technique that we uh, discussed on the podcast, and then Clifton's as well. We've gotten so many listener success stories from those three episodes, mm-hmm. like or, or those three uh, like tactics, basically. I, I mean, we have like constantly people writing in talking about how they had success using those and uh they still haven't worked for me for some reason i don't know what i'm doing wrong but i haven't really called yet this year so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna plan on doing it again but the whole tending grunt thing just makes so much sense to me so i I mean i mean i'm excited to do it again and also the rattling too um i think that i think that for for rattling clifton and richard are kind of similar but kind of different they're they both are really stressed that with your rattling antlers you got to like really grind those things together you're not like on like how you see on tv where the guys are just like smashing them together really hard it's not that it's more of like the grinding like you're pushing those antlers together really really hard against each other and it's more of like that deeper thuddy like grinding sound that that sounds that has pops in it too yeah it just has subtle pops in there you know nothing but you know, when you're smashing them together, you're just getting like this giant pop, like they're two bighorn rams running at each other. And it's really not like that. A lot of times, you know, they'll kind of run up to each other and they might pop each other one good time, but it's just a lot of pushing and locking up and, you know, shaking their head and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think Clifton just does it more like aggressively. I don't know, like does it harder basically. Um, but, you know, Clifton was saying that, you know, you should be able to smell those antlers. Like, that's how hard you should be grinding them together and everything. You should be you should be able to smell them. Now, also, you compare that to Tim Knight as well. And this is a good timely conversation because of the time of year that we're in. I mean, I know that some people are kind of in their rut right now, but a lot of us in the Deep South was still in the, you know, in the front windshield. Uh, you know, Tim Knight, his is a little bit different because I feel like his is more like, ticking and stuff like that but he ties his his antlers to his pull-up rope and basically uh hangs it down on the ground and hits the ground with it or whatever uh i'm I'm probably explaining that bad but uh you're getting like the leaves and everything making sound underneath the tree uh as well as like those tines hitting each other and all that and it just sounds super realistic uh we've actually had a lot of listener success stories come from that one as well um, so, I mean, they're all different tactics. Uh, they're all kind of similar, but they're different. So, I mean, I would, I'd advise people to just go out and try what works for you, you know. When you think turkey calls, 
Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. That Tim Knott episode's uh, episode 188, so that's from back in 2020. Um, and it's pressured-based hunting and a fresh look at calling with Tim Knight. Um, again, he has a very interesting way to do it because he wants to add more ground sounds to his rattling. Yeah. Um, and, again, you go back and listen to that episode, again, episode 188 with Tim Knight, uh, and, and get a, a better idea of what we're talking about, like his style of rattling specifically. Because I think all this can work. It's all about what you're going to have confidence in in your area. And I'll say this. If I'm in an area where I know most of the mature bucks are probably 110, 115 inches, like just not that big body deer, and they're not necessarily that big rack deer either, I'm probably not going to be rattling super aggressive with some giant shed antlers. Which, by, which by the way, I don't have any giant shed antlers anyways. I got some good ones. Yeah, you do have some really nice ones. Uh, it always seems like you get like the right size. I don't think you, don't think you have any left sides. <laughs> you always find that one that one side and not the other. But yep. um, but that's that's a huge part of like, you know, where you're at. Again, Clifton's trying to hunt areas that there are, you know, it's 140, 150, 160 plus inch deer running around that are that four and a half, five and a half, six and a half years old. You know, they're older age class deer. And he wants to sound like two of those bigger bucks, you know, going at it to try to draw one of these other bucks in, these other big bucks. And it works for him. But again, if you're in an area like South Alabama, it just comes to mind, where maybe like a big buck down there, you might have that 130 every now and then pops up. Maybe, you know, you might get a bigger, a little bit bigger buck than that every now and then. But majority of your deer are 115, 120 inches maybe as a mature buck. I don't think that super, super hard, aggressive, 
you know, rattling is going to work as well down there versus if you're in an area uh, that just has, you know, bigger bucks in general, like bigger rack deer specifically. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you got to take that consideration of where you're at in like the hunting style and the calling style specifically. Um, but it's interesting. Again, it's cool when you find guys like that that have that success. But also, like Clifton talked about, which is very similar to like what, uh, you know, Tim Knight talked about in episode 188, your setup is key for calling. Like, if you're in an area like Clifton's at, maybe he's in, you know, some of these bigger ridge, kind of like ridge country areas where you have some big topography, you may have four or five, 600 feet of elevation change, if not more. A lot of that, if it's hardwoods, could be fairly open, potentially. Yeah. I mean, you might have some thicker spots, but it could be, you know, where you can see 100 yards and that stuff. Well, if that's the case, like Clifton talks about, you got to find that, you know, some blowdowns. You got to find some kind of thicker cover around you that you're setting up on, you're climbing in and around that. So if you're calling and that deer comes into 100 yards, he can't see to that specific spot where that sound's coming from, which is going to make him draw in and get a little bit tighter to you uh, to give you a better opportunity to potentially get a shot off um, and not get hung up. Specifically, we're talking bow hunting here. So, again, all that's playing a factor for, like, what's going to have success. And just like turkey hunting, you know, there's a lot of turkey hunters that do, you know, cluck, 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 you know, make pair a little bit and then just be quiet, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be calling turkeys, you, you've got to have that set up. Again, if you're hunting a wide open field edge with no decoys or, or wide open timber with no oh, decoys, yeah. I mean, you can speak of it. It's tough because that bird's going to hang up at a, at a long range and might not come all the way in. Oh, yeah. Versus if you have that little bit of a rise and you quote unquote hide the hen, uh, like Scott Ellis talks about, you can draw that bird in even in more open areas. And I feel like it's the exact same thing with deer hunting. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and like the calling aspect with turkeys, you're exactly right. Like the setup is everything. And the, the more people who we talk to who have a high level of uh, success actually calling deer, think in a similar mindset. Richard Fott talked about it. He's hunting Arkansas river bottoms where you can see like way down through this timber in some cases. And he was talking about, the same thing you you have to put like a blowdown or just something next to you that is a, a visual obstruction um where the deer can't just like see everything you know because they got to look over there and be like well i don't see the deer but maybe it's behind that fallen tree or something like that you know and, and they got to come look for it uh it's really that simple you know i mean you're you're dealing with you know an animal that that works off of instincts so you just got to keep that in mind i mean i do think we kind of give them credit for like too much credit for being smart sometimes uh you know, turkeys are the same way. I mean, it's just kind of common sense. It's like, you know, if, if you set up on a wide open field and you're calling and he pops out and he doesn't see a turkey, he's like, well, I guess they're not here, <laughs> you know? So you got to kind of hide the hen. You got to hide the hide the buck fight or hide the doe or, or do whatever, you know, when it comes to deer in the exact same way. Um, I'll never know, but one time in South Alabama, I had a, I had a buck working past me and, uh, it was kind of open between me and him, and I was like, well, maybe I can kind of pitch this call like I do turkey hunting. And I got my grunt call out, and I tried to, like, kind of pitch it behind me to my right, and I grunted two or three times, and he heard it, and then immediately went down into this thick, nasty draw straight to my right, pretty much exactly where I was pointing the grunt call to, and, like, went down in there, and he was, like, looking around, and he looked for maybe, like, I don't know, a minute or two, and then turned around and walked off. And I was like, crap, I should have just grunted like right at him and see if he walked right to me. But, you know, I don't know if he was going to walk down into that draw anyways, but I mean, he walked exactly where I pointed that freaking grunt call. And uh, I was bow hunting, so I didn't get a shot and I was absolutely sick about it. So I've always wondered about that too. I, I like to, 
I'd like to ask people about calling to deer because a lot of this stuff we talk about is a blind calling. But I, I would like to ask some of these guys that if you're calling to a buck, do you just want to grunt right at the thing or are you trying to pitch that call just like if you're turkey hunting where you're like, well, I want him to th- hear it from right there, you know? Funny you bring that up because I've got the guy to interview about that. Oh, really? Yeah. We just got to get him on the podcast. But uh, he he grunts a lot and, and directly to the deer. And, and his mindset is, if I can see the deer, I'm continuing to call at him. Most people, he, he talks about, man, I'm, I'm going to hold that car tight to the chest I'm going to try to get the guy on the podcast. But uh, he's got a lot of deer uh, grunting specifically. And, you know, his mindset is if I can see the buck, I'm continuing to grunt at him. He might be, as long as he's not within bow range, I'm calling to him because I don't want him to lose interest. And also, his mindset is if you stop calling, that's when he circles downwind of you to try to scent check that general area. Versus if he can continue to hear it as he's coming in, it's in, in this gentleman's mindset who has, again, like 40 plus years of experience doing this. It's drawing his attention in, and as long as he can continue to hear it, his mindset is, as long as he can continue to hear it, he's going to keep coming on a straight line to me, and he's not going to try to get down with him because he can hear what he thinks is a deer grunting or a buck grunting, and he's going to come all the way into that spot instead of stop grunting when the deer is looking uh, in that general area, and then that buck then circles down with him and busts him. Yeah, yeah. So, again, super interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the draw, like the topography. Um we had a question about uh, some draws going up into a pine thicket, and, and Clifton got got pretty excited about that question. He got excited about that setup. Uh, can, can you kind of, like, dive in and, and kind of re-explain uh, his thought process on hunting draws or, like, little secondary ridges that come off a of main ridge? Yeah, so uh, I think that was uh, Olivia Glasgow, which is one of our Patreon members. She had asked that question. Um, and, again, hunting an area that seemed pretty freaking steep, uh, it looked like it was it sounded like it was a big hardwood drainage that had a bunch of splits in it, kind of like a big thermal hub that was going up uh, to uh, some thick pines up top, some younger thick pines up on that top edge. And again, she, she was talking about it being extremely thick. And you know what Clifton was really talking about is trying to get up towards you know the head of one of those drainages where those deer are going to come around, or on one of those finger points where the deer have to like come around that edge. Uh, on that topography line that they feel most comfortable kind of cruising on or, or, you know, coming down. Uh, And that's something that he has a ton of success with, kind of hunting the head of some of these ditches or head of some of these drainages where that that ditch will split, like, two secondary ridge points. So you have the main ridge, give you an example. And actually, if you're a Patreon member, you can actually go watch the video uh, version of this of this podcast on Patreon. And Clifton actually does an awesome example with a shed antler, which I've never thought about that <laughs> as like a visual. Yeah, but uh, big giant shed antler. Yeah, at big, that. big old giant shed antler. Yeah. Definitely go go. Biggin. If you're not on Patreon, you can join Patreon and check that out. If you are a Patreon member, you can go watch that video. But an example that ridge running uh, east to west, the main ridge system running east to west. And then you have these secondary ridge points that drop off to the south, okay? Just like a shed antler, he kind of turned it on the side, and it was a great, great example. Um, well, all those ditches that split each secondary ridge point, so each secondary ridge point will have a ditch to one side and the other, so to the, to the left and right-hand side of that uh, that ridge point, the secondary ridge point will have a ditch. And he's talking about really liking to hunt that top edge of that ditch where he can kind of set up there and still shoot down towards the ditch. And if a buck tries to, like, maybe come up the ditch or cross over one of those secondary ridge points and drop back down to the ditch, uh, kind of as it's paralleling the main ridge, he can get shot opportunities. But he also can shoot up 
to the, maybe one of the main trails that's working along the top side of that ditch that's running right at the base of that ridge that's running the top side of the ditch that goes over the top side of the uh, the uh, the base of the secondary ridge point um, and having a ton of success. And those are those kind of areas that he was talking about, you know, going in blind on a morning hunt, walking in the dark and hunting a spot like that specifically to try to catch those bucks again, you know, working that kind of area. And he really kind of liked that stuff. And again, that's something that you're going to find much more in a little bit more uh, bigger topography areas. If you're in like rolling hill country, where there's not like a lot of stuff that really kind of bottlenecks those deer, there's not like a lot of that steep terrain, those deer will still kind of do that. They'll still kind of work the top side of those ditches, but it's not nearly as exaggerated as you'll find like areas like where he's hunting, where you're having five, 600 feet of elevation change. Uh, where it's a lot more noticeable where those trails. And again, I found something like that when I was in Arkansas, decided one of these day, one, one of the days I was up there, I'm going to go hit the mountains and, and drive a ways to go hit some mountains um, up in, uh, again, northern Arkansas. And I found a spot just like that. I found a spot where this big ditch was running up this main ridge system. It was the only ditch on that side of the mountain. And when I, I was working up the ditch, there were some faint trails working up it, just like uh, Rusty Johnson talks about uh, along with uh, Chuck Young. Um, and there was, you know, these faint trails going up the ditch, but also at the head of that ditch, there was a couple massive trails cutting across it, kind of going left and right over the top of that, the, the, the head of that ditch. And, uh, I can kind of see after what Clifton was talking about, that's a spot you could go in blind and step in one of those areas. It's specifically again, pre-rut, getting into the rut and catch a buck cruising through an area like that. Um, and it's really, really kind of interesting when you kind of see it, you know, for example. But, again, to me, I've struggled kind of finding some of those spots in, like, more gentle rolling hill country. Uh, it doesn't seem like some of those areas will funnel as well unless it's a very, very steep ditch. Like, maybe there's only 50-foot elevation change, but there's got to be a pretty steep ditch there uh, in order to kind of funnel that movement around the head of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Kind of gets me thinking kind of gets me thinking on some spots man that i, I want to go check out uh maybe at the club but then also a, a new area that we're going to be hunting this year uh over over the next coming weeks hopefully be able to get out there a couple times and then hopefully do one big hunt in this area that i'm thinking about but that's the area that pretty much immediately comes to mind for me uh is like a, a bigger you know mountainous area that we're wanting to hunt um yeah that uh that was a um a really fun a fun topic uh kind of got my wheels turning on some areas that I looked at earlier this year because we actually on the club uh, me and Mike my stepfather we went out there on a squirrel hunt and actually found some pretty steep terrain out there like steeper than I thought existed on the property Um, and so now I'm kind of curious about going back in there and trying to see how the deer are actually messing around with that stuff Uh, because I haven't I haven't really scouted it a ton yet but I did go in there and find all that really thick stuff I mean all the really steep stuff so um I don't know. I'm going to go hit some of those draws and kind of look at the heads of them. That, that's a tactic I've heard about before, but I've actually really never tried it very much. So I'm kind of eager to, to go give that, a, give that a go, especially on this bigger ridge system on the property where it's pretty much the, the only ridge that runs across the property. I mean, there's a lot of secondaries that come off of it, but there's only one main ridge. Uh, and so maybe catch, catch deer kind of cruising down the side of that ridge or something, something along those lines. But yeah, dude. It's exciting. Um, you got anything else on uh, on the Zoom Room episode? No, uh, not really, but it was fun kind of getting the, the interaction with, um, you know, some of the Patreon members, some of the listeners be able to kind of ask some of their questions and, and get, you know, Clifton's take on it. 
uh, made it for a really, really fun opportunity. I'm excited to do some more of those in the future. Uh, you know, we're trying to, you know, one of these kind of guest speakers uh, on uh, for like a Patreon, kind of like a, a live uh, Zoom meeting uh, once a month. And it's been kind of interesting kind of seeing the engagement with uh, some of the listeners getting on there and being able to ask some of their questions to some of these past guests and getting their takes on different things. So uh, super excited for, you know, who hopefully we're going to have on for November um, for our uh, our next uh, video episode. Yep, 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 definitely. Uh, dude, we gotta we got to read a review. Well, it, it's been a hot minute since we read a couple of reviews, so we got to knock out a couple of those bad boys. Yep. No, well, let me pull it up real quick. So, yeah, we appreciate everybody that's been leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, Spotify, for some reason, doesn't let you do uh, written reviews, which is kind of strange, uh, but that you can leave a five-star review if you listen on, on Spotify. But on Apple or, or Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, you can leave reviews, and we appreciate everybody that's been leaving those. also appreciate everybody that's been, again, joining Patreon and also – uh, if you're an Apple listener, you can also get our uh, podcast ad-free uh, by joining uh, our Apple subscription. So appreciate everybody has been joining that as well. I appreciate that support. But I'll read off a couple of reviews here, get a couple of good ones. Um, let's see here. So let's see. So you picking one? No, I'm trying. I'm trying to go through. There's quite a few on here. So this one's from. This is from. It's kind of funny. Some of y'all is like username handles whatever that y'all use for these reviews are pretty interesting this is from uh, broke boys outdoors five-star review <laughs> titled great content best podcast for deer hunting if you live in the southeast i'm not a reader so this is definitely a great way for me to get new perspectives and tactics never too old to learn new ways to get into deer hunting straight out of the 601 south mississippi nice heck yeah dude love it Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the review. Big help for us. Also, uh, here's another good one here. So this is from Little Buck Nuts, who's a classic, classic, classic reviewer. Again, if you've listened to podcasts for a little while, you know we get uh, a couple of listeners that uh, leave reviews, and it's kind of always entertaining to follow along. It's uh, Thicket Cricket, Little Buck Nuts, and Big Butt Nuts. And this is a <laughs> this is a Little Buck Nuts here, uh, titled Shane and Paul, five stars. Love the trail cam study episodes, y'all. Keep up the great work. I'm looking forward to the results from Shane's study from this year, uh, from this year, around the Bucks bedding in core areas. Love Paul's input on everything that was discussed. Mm-hmm. Awesome, dude. Well, Paul awesome. just shot a freaking stud of a yep. buck a couple days ago in Jersey. Shane here in Alabama has been all over some freaking. He- Studs. He's had so many close encounters within bow range of a couple monsters uh, over the last few weeks. So it's been interesting to kind of see. But also, there's a few more. There's a little bit more to this review. Um, also, Little Buck Nooks has to say. Sometimes, uh, sometime back, Andrew asked something about how all this back and forth works, or where it exists between the thicket cricket, big buck nuts, and myself, little buck nuts. And to tell you the truth, I have no idea. The metaverse, I guess. Uh, <laughs> what I can tell you is I look forward to hearing back from those old boys. They always give me a good laugh. Thunder Mountain is letting the thunder roll on Bojim. I guess that's another <laughs> reviewer, and I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, the the Thunder Mountain guy. I think I think we had one reviewer, which he did leave us five stars, so I appreciate that. Oh. But he was upset. That we were talking about the moon, it sounded like. Actually, I'm going to read and that one. And then another reviewer jumped in 
And yeah, uh, I'll, I'll read those. So this is from Bo Jim. And it's five stars, but he titled Snake Oil. It's pretty interesting <laughs> here. So I appreciate the five-star review, though. He said, if they're trying to lose half of their listeners, then they need to continue uh, these conversations with the moon. I will tune back in when they start having conversations with real hunters. Dang. So I'll Bo Jim. Okay. Ooh. But hey, appreciate the five-star review, though. Yeah, appreciate the five-star review. See, appreciate now, the honor. Now, I can get down with that because, look, I get it. It's Look, if you don't like it, whatever, you can let us know you don't like it. Uh, but, you know, don't leave us, like, a one-star review or whatever because that, that legitimately hurts the podcast. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, but, really but, appreciate that guy, you know, giving us a little bit of feedback with his five stars or whatever. But then we had another uh, reviewer. Yeah, so, 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 so Thunder Mountain came back on here, and Thunder Mountain titled it Bo Jim. This is a response. Bo Jim. And uh, five stars. <laughs> And it starts out with lose half their listeners question mark probably just you <laughs> go somewhere else if you're listening to if you're it well I need to restart that go somewhere else if listening to a legend strategy who has probably killed more monster bucks than you have than you you will ever get or you I can't talk will probably kill more <laughs> has probably killed more monster bucks than you have or will ever see gets you flustered because you do not understand the science of strategy behind. All right, all right, Thunder Mountain. I need, I need you, I need you to calm down a little bit. I appreciate, it. appreciate, appreciate, appreciate the five stars, Bo Jim. Again, appreciate your feedback. Again, very entertaining. Again, appreciate, oh, appreciate the feedback. Appreciate the five stars. Um, but anyways, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. It's always, it's always entertaining. I'm it's not gonna a, it's, yeah, it's certainly. Also, we got a few more reviews in here. I want to try to knock these out. So this is from Kyle, uh, five star review and titled "New Subscriber." I heard. Oh, let's see. I heard about y'all's podcast like three months ago and never listened to it. Was headed to hunting uh, to the hunting land this past weekend and decided I'd give y'all a try. Needless to say, I wasted the past three months. <laughs> great stuff, great information, great content. Thank y'all. And then uh, Jiminy Cricket. Oh, so we got another cricket up in here. Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket. Cricket. Another another five star review titled "Informative Podcast." Go get that copper arm. The the moonshine still arm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. You so I think it was. It must have been the last outro we were talking about. We, I I got I found a big old freaking moonshine still on my hunting club. It's got a bunch of axe marks in it. Um, oh, AT, oh, ATF. The law found it. Yeah, the law found it and put and, some- uh, and yeah, I want to. He said I should go back out there and get that copper arm. You know, it comes off the pot and. Uh, and uh, put it in the studio or something. Yep. Also, he says, uh, our property in South Carolina is an old Confederate railroad, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's neat. Yep. Yeah, we found a Confederate grave out on our place as well, <laughs> which we did a little research on that fella. And uh, he, like, the club is in Shelby County, and that guy is from Chambers County. Like, he enlisted in Cham- Chambers County. And it was like 1st Regiment, whatever, CSA, which Confederate Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wound up in a grave all by himself in Shelby County. So I'd love to know what happened to him, but we couldn't really find any more information. It's kind of weird, you know. He, he had like halfway across the state and uh, no, no other graves around there, just him. So I don't really know what went down there, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting. So the last new review that came in, this is from Edlin, Ed, Edley, Edley uh, 12002. Uh, five stars titled best pot best hunting podcast of the century <laughs> the podcast hasn't been around that long but i appreciate it <laughs> and uh, he's got to say i've been listening every day since february in every episode as jacob would say it's an absolute banger <laughs> i applied many tactics into my summer into my scouting this summer from your summer scouting episodes and found good historical sign and beds everywhere i scouted I hopefully will, uh, I hope to be reporting back with a listener success story soon. 
congrats, Andrew, on your Georgia buck. Jacob, keep living and dying by the plan. <laughs> I die by the plan more than live, but you got to be confident in your plan to keep from wondering what would have happened if you didn't follow through. Also, I think Andrew should definitely go get that copper arm from the steel. Good luck, this gentleman. Er, good, good, good luck, this gentleman. Good luck this season, <laughs> gentlemen. You just mashed up like four words all together. You know, I'm trying to shorten it up a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> be efficient. Yep. Oh, that's great. So appreciate that's that. But that's that's good advice, man. You got to be confident in uh, in your in your strategy. You know, it doesn't always work out, but you got to be. You got to see it through. You know, you got to figure out something that you think is going to work, and uh, and do it until you know it doesn't work, and then you can move on to the next thing. Um, I think that's a I think that's a good little thing to leave this this uh, Friday breakdown on is uh, you know come up with your strategy but and and don't uh, you know don't halfway do it I mean you know go out there and really try it and give it your best shot and then you can kind of move on you know um, that because that uh, bring that up because he said that but also that's something that I've dealt with over the years is changing strategy mid hunt or mid season or whatever. And just kind of bouncing around and being wishy-washy about everything—it it never works out. Yep, never works out. And you've had the opposite problem. You you stick by your guns, and you know sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of times it does. And I, I've noticed the same thing with me when I buckle down and really force myself to follow the plan. It usually works out in my favor. So, and it's um, like you gotta find your hunting style. You gotta find like what what not only do you enjoy, but what do you somewhat have confidence in and then stick by? Because again, if you're constantly, like you said, changing or constantly trying something new, which I'm not saying don't try something new, but if you're constantly like adjusting what you're doing, uh, where you're doing something 100, 180 degrees different from what you were doing the previous weeks, you're going to kind of start back from zero every single time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, especially if you only have limited time to hunt, it's very, very difficult to go from like one hunting style to completely changing up and trying to do something different. And then you're trying to relearn what you're trying to do in this new style of like approach or scouting or, or like, uh, you know, method to your planning uh, every single time. It just, it makes it extremely difficult. So yeah, you definitely live and die by the plan. And again, died, died in my plan with Georgia, but you know, it, it worked out okay. It worked out pretty good in, uh, in Arkansas. I think it's going to play out even more so here when we get back to Alabama. So very excited with that. Yep, definitely, definitely. All right, cool. Well, uh, appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you back here on next Monday's episode. We got, we're like I said, we're on this drive from uh, Wisconsin right now, so we've had a lot of windshield time to really plan out uh, uh, future episodes and, and line up some guests. And we got some some really nice people that we're getting lined up right now deep south hunters y'all are gonna love them so be on the lookout for that make sure you're subscribed and uh be watching out for these next couple monday episodes because i think y'all are gonna really enjoy them yep absolutely and uh also you want to plug the uh um if i might go botch it the uh, uh, collaborators, uh, collaborators here. here yeah so all right yeah so on the way up to wisconsin we actually finished out uh, our latest collaborator tier uh member uh, his name's zach he's a patreon member and uh he joined up and, uh, we, you know, we made this video for him. The collaborator tiers where uh, you hop on there on Patreon and you send us your hunting property. We'll check it out on the map, uh, drop a bunch of pins, and then make a video. Pins with notes, too, by the way, like on Onyx. You know, you can put notes on there. So I'll drop a pin and I'll say, this is why this pin is here. And, uh, and then we'll do a video that gets sent to you. Um, it's your, your exclusive video where we're just, you know, kind of explaining our thoughts. And then we'll get, hop on a call and, you know, answer any further questions. And, you know, on the way up to Wisconsin, uh, we were able to do that with Zach and just had a fantastic con- – I mean, we were on the phone for, like, what, two hours? Yep. 
talking to him about the property. It was a blast uh, going over kind of the South Alabama, you know, swampy, piney property that he's got. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So we enjoy doing those, and, you know, hopefully he gets a lot of good use out of that. So, uh, yeah, definitely you guys go and check that out. That's our kind of our latest tier on there. Uh, if you got a property that you want us to help you map scout and everything, then uh, then go check it out. Uh, want to add anything? Or? No, no, uh, no. Pretty much covers it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So appreciate everybody's support. Appreciate everybody joining Patreon. And, uh, again, if you haven't already joined Patreon, check that out. It'll be a link in the show notes below. Uh, join Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoors Men, M-E-N. Again, it's not man, guys, but... You know, y'all search man so much, Southern Outdoors man. That we took over that the, SEO, the too. SEO, yeah, we, we got that, too, so it works good. But um, anyways, the Southern Outdoors men on Patreon. And, uh, again, you can join and get ready to go for this November's, uh, again, video uh, meeting with our next guest. So it's going to be super exciting. We'll have that announced here hopefully very soon. Uh, y'all can check that out. And, again, appreciate everybody's support. And hope y'all have a great rest of your week and a, a great weekend ahead of you. Yes, uh, go out there, kill some deer. And, hey, I'll mention this, too. We've had some listener success stories come in very recently uh, where guys are, you know, going out. You know, they might be killing their first year, might be killing their biggest buck ever or whatever. Um, it's been awesome getting some of those feedback. So, definitely, if you kill a buck or kill a deer using any specific uh, strategies, tactics that's discussed on the podcast, you can actually go to our website, and we actually have at the southernoutdoorsmen.com a uh, a little uh, what what would you call it? like a little uh, it's a submission form a little submission form where you can give us some information uh, about the listener success story tell us a little bit about the hunt send us some photos and again uh, hopefully uh, we might choose you for either uh, might be doing a little bonus episode yeah maybe a little bonus little, episode little, a little outro little outro but featured all, on the website but also uh, this Onyx giveaway we're gonna do uh, which actually we gotta announce ours for October here uh, very soon. Uh, where we're actually uh, drawing uh, a, an elite membership for Onyx uh, for these listener success stories. So, again, you go into that drawing as well, and we appreciate everybody's feedback that's been sending and submitting those in. So, again, best of luck to you guys this weekend, and we'll catch you back here on next Monday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.